God, you are worthy, worthy of our praise, worthy of our lives, worthy of our submission, our allegiance, worthy of our affections. There's no one else who is like you, Lord, among the gods. Who is like you? I will extol you, my God and King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. And we sit here as your people and we say, for greater you, Lord, greater you, Lord, and your greatness is unsearchable. Your praise unmatched, your name unrivaled. There's no one else worthy. We are gathered in this room to some degree because we've either, either been drawn to you this morning with a sense of need or want that we feel being in this room with your people or with you will satisfy. Or we've come here this morning to be reminded of the fact that you alone deserve our lives and our praise. Whatever has brought us into this room, I pray that through the miracle of the work of your spirit, that you would demonstrate to us subjectively in our own hearts through your spirit that you are real and working and objectively through your word that you'd reveal to us now the way in which you are working in our lives. Help us to align our lives with the word that's spoken this morning from these pages. I love this family. I love these people. And I want to be helpful, and I pray that you'd help me to do just that, to help them to see you rightly, to see us rightly. And would you, once again, use your word as a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, that we might be people who please you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Uh, my name is Matt Moorhead. I'm one of the pastors here, and you can grab your Bibles and flip to Psalm 127. Psalms is kind of right in the middle of your Bible. If you're using a chair Bible, I believe it's page 485. So good to be together. Time is working against me here, but I trust God's timing in it all. And we, uh, we find ourselves in the third week of a parenting series, so parental guidance. And we're going to be uh, jumping back into parenting through the lens of Psalm 127 this morning. Part one, a couple weeks ago, uh, we looked at how our vision for parenting should drive our priorities. And so ultimately what we looked at is how the vision for parenting comes from the prophetic vision that you see in Proverbs 29, which is God's word, that if God's word is our vision for parenting, then God's word drives our priorities in parenting. And there's a lot of other things that can clamor for the identity and vision of our parenting, but it's God's word that needs to drive it. Part two, we looked at last week, this call for children to obey their parents. And parents, I hope that went well this week. I hope they all obeyed without exception. You're welcome if that happened. Surely that didn't happen. That's why parents were also called to discipline and instruct their children. I want to say something just real quickly. I mentioned a little bit in the first week uh, that I feel compelled just 
based on things I've been processing through this week, to share in light of that call to discipline and the call for vision to be aligned with the Word of God. And one of the things I mentioned in the first week is that a lot of times what we can do is we can be tempted to build our vision for parenting based on what we don't want to become, which isn't, which isn't necessarily wrong, but it's insufficient. It's not enough. And so the call is to raise the bar, raise the bar for that vision to the Word of God and not just something you don't want to be. And I want to comment just real quickly on the content from last week. Because as it relates to discipline and all its different forms and shapes and sizes, all the how-tos and discipline, I want to just comment on that same sort of theme. And it's basically this, is that there can be principles lived out poorly, applied poorly. So some of you may have been in homes growing up where under the guise of biblical discipline, there was borderline abuse or even abuse under the banner of what was just discipline. And that's significant. And it's painful. But my, my encouragement to you is whatever aberration, whatever poor example you may be trying to swing away from, don't allow your experience to cause you to swing away from a practice. And while you're doing that, swing all the way over the principle to where you don't, discipline has no bearing in your, your parenting, because ultimately what we saw last week in Ephesians 6, you see all over the place in the Bible, is that the call to discipline is a biblical command to parents. And so don't wildly swing away from what you don't want to become, and in doing so, throw away clear principles in Scripture. Otherwise, you do it to your detriment and to the detriment of your own children. But part three we're going to look at this morning is the key to building a fruitful family from Psalm 127. How many of you use playlists during the week? Oh, come on, y'all. Thank you. I don't know why you're so slow on that playlist. So Apple Music, Spotify, some of you still got burnt CDs out there. How many of you got those CDs? Okay. Mixtapes? Cassettes? Okay. <laughs> Can you get a mixtape? You have to show me later. But we all have these kind of collections of music. Some of you might have vinyl collections even, like going, I don't know how far back I can go with this illustration, but I'll stop there. But we enjoy playlists, right, that represent a certain genre of music or some style that we like. And Psalm 127 falls into a section of Psalms that's like the playlist for Jewish pilgrims called the Psalms of Ascent. And so I want you to have this visual in mind as we read this Psalm, because these Psalms um, were, were a collection of Psalms, Psalm 120 through 134, that were, were sung memorized as Jewish people would go from all over Palestine to the temple to worship. And so they were like songs that they would sing. It was like a pilgrim's playlist. And so for you this morning, as we read Psalm 127, my encouragement is to put this at the top of the list on your parental playlist, something that should be tumbling in your mind as you think about all the things that you're doing to build, build your family, build your home, to build into your children. <clears throat> that we'd be very careful that all the building would be done not in our own strength, but with God. And if you're not a parent in this room, I've said a couple times, and I'll just say it briefly again, don't disconnect from this message because you're not a parent. You either will be someday, or you'll have the opportunity to encourage parents from biblical principles. So just lock in. I would also say this, Psalm 127 does apply to more than just the family. Anything you endeavor to build or pursue for the sake of God or in your life in general, these principles will apply directly to whatever that pursuit may be, whatever that, that endeavor may be. But let's read Psalm 127. It's, it's five 
brief verses. It's introduced as a song of ascents of Solomon. This is God's word. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So whether you're building a house, a family, or a city, one of the messages we see really early on and right at the beginning is if you're relying solely on your own ingenuity, personality, energy, strategy to build whatever it is you're building, then your labor is going to be in vain. All your effort will be empty if it's done apart from God and his grace and his power. Unless God is with us in the building, unless he is with us in the guarding, it is in vain. The Christian life and the Christian family is built on the necessity of the power and the presence of God to make our efforts fruitful and lasting. And you can envision Solomon, David's son, who built the, the temple in Jerusalem. You can envision Solomon writing this and looking at the, the beauty and the craftsmanship of this remarkable work of architecture on its foundations and all the all its ornamentation and craftsmanship. It was remarkable and beautiful. And you can almost see him looking at the temple saying, but, but if the Lord doesn't build this house, this is all meaningless. Yeah. Like if he's not in it, it's all in vain. And you can see the Israelites wandering into, as it were, journeying to Jerusalem and on their way seeing the houses in Jerusalem, ultimately seeing the temple. And having a similar response. It's like, this is a really beautiful place. And these are beautiful homes. But if God isn't in it, then it's all vanity. Wow. If he doesn't build it, it's all, it's all empty. If the Lord doesn't build it, if he isn't in it, it's meaningless. The significance of this building is that God built it. And he is in it. And he's still building it. He's the centerpiece of it. That's the significance the temple is the significance of the Christian family. So here's what this isn't saying. God isn't prescribing that parents stop building or stop guarding. As it relates to your home and any endeavor you undertake with spiritual and eternal significance, God will not do the work independent from you. He uses you as human means to accomplish his purposes. But nor should you do the work independent from him. He uses dependent people to do wonderful things for his name. And Psalm 127 confronts the one who builds and guards without God. And I want to submit to you, there's two different battles in the building that are kind of nestled in this picture. Self-reliance and self-image. Genesis 11.4, maybe one of the most obvious, obvious examples in Scripture, the Tower of Babel. The people are collected in this one spot. 
They have a common language. They're like, we could do anything. And they say this, a brief summary. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Bless you. Yeah, we could apply this in our families. Maybe this, this statement would sound something like this. Let us build a family to make a name for ourselves. Let me build a family to make a name for myself. It's the tower, it's the tower, it's the problem of Babel. Like we love to build things based on our own energy and our self-reliance and also for our own image. And self-reliance, let us build a family, trusting in our own ability and resources. I'm just going to be really honest in this moment because it doesn't help me not to be, obviously. To lie to you up here would be not a good idea. But as I think as a parent, you know, one of the recent examples of this in my own heart, if I could just try to bring this all the way down to the ground, is I would say I, I feel like I'm fairly relationally adept with people. And I'm fairly perceptive. And I'm a decent communicator, just in general. But I feel like that's true in my home with my girls. I have six daughters, ranging from 21 down to nine. <clears throat> hey, thank you so much. And so there's a lot of communication in my home. There's a lot of words that have to be said. There's a lot of people and women talk more than men. What can I say? Usually. There's a general rule. But that's not my point. One of the recent examples for me of, of uh, my own self-reliance is how like the, the things that are probably very true about how God has made me and how he's grown me, my ability to communicate, my perceptiveness, my relational kind of acumen. What I found myself doing is just, just trusting in those things to be able to win the day or win the moment or win over the hearts of my kids. And here's what I'm saying is that those things aren't enough. Like, even the good things about you are insufficient to build a godly spiritual home. If they're done apart, from, I mean, you can use good things apart from God. You can build with gifts that God has given you apart from his enablement. And that's the danger of trying to do good things with good gifts that you have, ultimately apart from God, doing things for God apart from God. There's a unique danger for the Christian, whether it be in ministry or whether in the, the home. It isn't enough if God isn't doing the work. And this should lead us to a place of desperation. Lord, if you don't build, then all my building is in vain. All my labor is in vain. If you're not watching even my most watchful hour, I might as well go to sleep. It's pointless if you're not watching on my behalf, if you're not the one ultimately protecting my family. Self-reliance is also demonstrated by this, and please hear me on this, by our unwillingness to receive input and exhortation from others as it relates to our children and our parenting. Family, it is a gift of God to do life in a community where you can get correction and encouragement and redirection from people around you who love God. And so it's foolishness in your self-reliance to think you have everything you need unto yourself to do it with success and in a way that will build a lasting legacy. You need God and you need God's people. You need God through his people to speak into your life. Are you quick to diminish constructive feedback or input from others? There's few things in our lives 
that we are as possessive with than parenting. Because there's virtually nothing I can think of that we invest more energy in. And it creates this distinct like danger for pride. Because we don't want to let people in. We don't want to see that we're, we're still in process. We don't quite know what we're doing yet. If it helps you this morning, I still don't know what I'm doing. I'm 21 years in. I'm still learning. I'm still trying to figure it out. This revelation in my illustration, that was just like a couple weeks ago. It wasn't like 20 years ago. But God delights in dependent people, right? Are you quick to diminish constructive feedback or do you joyfully receive affirming feedback is the true picture of what your parenting is? Finally, someone's recognized. So that feedback that's good, I was like, that's the real picture of what my parenting is. I mean, which one do you, the likelihood is that neither one probably are completely true, but both are helpful. The, aff- the affirmation and the constructive feedback. A fruitful Christian family is built on a deep reliance on God to undertake the building for us as we exert our energy and resources to build alongside him and with his enablement, self-reliance. Second one is self-image. Let us build a family to make a name for ourselves. There's a very subtle but profoundly significant difference between these two statements. I want to be a good parent. I want you to know I'm a good parent. Those are two very different, but very similar statements. The first, I want to be a good parent, can a lot of times be born out of a motive. Like, I want my kids to flourish. I want to build well into them. I want to see them succeed. I want to see them love God. So it's good to want to be a good parent. It's insidious to be driven by, like, I want you to know I'm a good parent. I want you to think that I'm a good parent. I want you to see and observe and say that I'm a good parent. Why? Because nestled in there, if not completely saturating, is a heart that says, I want to make a name for myself. I want to make a name for myself. And Hey, every single one of us struggles with this. Every single one of us. I don't even know you, and I know you struggle with it because I know it theologically. Every single one of us struggles with making a name for ourselves. It's at the heart of what sin is, a rebellion against God, not wanting him to be the one who gets the glory for who we are and how he has made us. We want to make a name for ourselves. And there was a season in Israel's history where God explains to them why there's a lack of fruitfulness in their lives. And don't miss this. And maybe a, a timely warning for all of us, and maybe some of you in particular, God may use this to kind of correct some things. In a season where they had basically taken a break from rebuilding the temple, you see in the book of Ezra, Haggai, the prophet, comes to Israel and the leaders, and he says this in verse 7 of chapter 1. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, that his name would be made much of, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, and the hills, and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. This is a living, breathing illustration of what it looks like for God to be opposed to the proud. If you busy yourself 
with your own home to make a name for yourself and your home, you can be sure that God will oppose that work. It will prove to be vain if it's not done with him and for him. And some of us need to be confronted today with the fact that we are busying ourselves with our own house and our pattern of self-reliance and pursuit of self-image is not only robbing us of fruitfulness, but it's robbing God of the glory that he's so due, he so rightfully deserves. This picture of a watchman, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. A watchman was responsible to guard the city, and he kept watch on the walls of the city for sources of danger and would sound the alarm at the approach of enemies. This is good and necessary work, so don't miss that. Be watchful. Be protective. Have your eyes open to dangers. Call them out when you see them. Be faithful to that end. We live in a world that has been deeply destabilized by sin, and every square inch is ultimately insecure because of sin. And we desperately need God. As parents, we must protect our children in a million different ways, and I'm not going to get into the different layers of what that may look like, but ultimately the security of our children, of our family, our own lives is not bound up in our effort to watch. It's bound up in the watching eyes of God. If he's the one protecting, there's ultimate protection. If he's the one who watches, we don't watch in vain. Our children are in safekeeping because they're kept safe by God himself. The psalmist goes on to say in verse 2, and Sinclair Ferguson, a pastor that I listen to often, who I commend you to, made this comment. He said, it's almost as if the psalmist Solomon turns his mind to a Jewish home. And he thinks about the, the mom and dad busying themselves, getting up early, going to bed late, all to, to take care of their responsibilities and try to take care of their family and their children. It's almost like he turns to that picture, using every minute to work to protect their home and benefit their children. In verse 2, he says, It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he, God, gives to his beloved sleep. So let's be clear. Diligence is a good thing. Diligence is a good, God-honoring thing. Diligent building and protecting helps build a fruitful family. If you look just in Psalm 128, right next to where we're reading here, if you read verses 1 through 4 with me, just look at the word labor here and how it's captured. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Diligence is a good thing, but diligence is only a good thing when we trust in God and not in our own diligence. If you are diligent, if you go to bed late and you rise up early and you think that's all it takes to build a fruitful family, your diligence is in vain. If God isn't the one building, if he's not the one protecting and guarding and leading, if your dependence isn't deep upon him and you're relying on your, your own diligence, then ultimately it's in vain. Now, how many of you know the parenting is tiring? Anybody in here? Disorienting. Can be really discouraging at times. And all those emotions and so many others can leave you just restless like literally losing sleep 
over the condition of your kids and the future of your kids. But let me ask you this, like what's your solution to the restlessness that you feel? When you get restless, is your approach to work harder, longer, hours? Get up earlier, go to bed later? Here's just this wonderful prescription for the Christian, for the Christian family. God's prescription for your troubled, restless heart is build, guard, trust him, and then sleep, knowing that he never does. Build, guard, trust him, and then rest. Because God never sleeps or slumbers, and he'll work on your behalf. And I wonder how many of us need to hear that among the most fundamental expressions of our neediness before God is sleep. There was a season in life where I, as a younger man, like probably my late 20s, early 30s, where I just, I, I would say subtly took pride in being a high-capacity guy. Like I could just do a lot. I was doing a lot, but I kind of took pride in that. I wouldn't have told you that out loud, but in my heart there was probably a component of that. And I got the flu twice in six weeks. And that second time I had the flu, I sat at home on Sunday morning when my family was gathered at church worshiping, and I listened to a, a sermon on a biblical perspective of sleep. And I was really challenged by the fact that I need rest. I need to sleep. Like sleep is a good gift from God. And I think there's a general way in which this psalm is highlighting that he gives his beloved sleep. Practically, God is giving us a gift of resting, but it's a little bit beyond that too. It's maybe even just the, the nature of the sleep that we get when we trust in God. Matthew Henry said it this way, there are some, maybe you're among this number, who will rob their sleep to pay their cares. And they have as little comfort in their meals as in their rest. They eat the bread of sorrows. And that's really what this picture is. Eating the bread of anxious toil could literally be translated eating the bread of sorrows. If you find yourself toiling in your own effort, protecting in your own power, building based on your own energy, your food at the end of the day will be bread that's inescapably sorrowful and vain because it'll leave you with a restlessness and not a restfulness. And God says he gives to his beloved sleep. Build protect, guard, labor, trust in God, and sleep. Rest in his capable, loving hands and exchange the bread of sorrows for the bread of safety. Psalm 4.8, in peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. That's good news, right? That's so good for restless hearts, restless parents, it's hard not knowing what the future holds. It's hard not having any assurance that your kid will be walking with Jesus later on. All the toil and sweat and energy and money and labor and nights up late and conversations and deposits, and you don't know, ultimately. But God knows, and he's good, and he's faithful. And he's able to work even in our sleep because he never does. Let me just highlight a couple things with moms and dads. These are generalities, but I want to speak to two specific things. It might be kind of unique to the way that men and women are wired. Dads, 
being a workaholic is vanity. Replacing restlessness in your home or even deficiencies in your leadership in your home with more hours, countless hours, and being a workaholic, that is vanity. It is in vain. The very thing you're doing to provide for your family can destroy your family. They need your provision, but they need even more for you to be there. They need your presence, not just your provision. So don't become a workaholic under the banner of I'm providing for my family when all the while you're depriving your family of what they need the most. Work hard, but don't trust in your hard work. Trust in God, work, build, go home, work on and build your home and then rest. I think all of us need to be challenged with that. Moms, your natural good impulse to protect can often turn into a restless need for control. This is true in my own heart. It's true of dads as well. There's a uniqueness to the maternal instinct of moms. Your restlessness may very well be expressing itself in overbearing control that will make your kids, especially as they get older, feel like they're mistrusted. And even worse, will give them the impression that you don't trust God. Trust in him to be their protector. Your sleep at the end of your day, be diligent and protect and be faithful. But don't try to replace God through your own measures of control. We can and should trust God with our children. They are his after all. And that's really what verse 3 begins to kind of zoom in on. Look at verse 3 with me. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the, the womb, a reward. There's a combined picture of belonging and blessing in verse 3, heritage and reward. God says our children are from him. They're a heritage or inheritance from him. There's so much ownership in parenting. We, we feel that the children are ours, right? Like our kids, like my daughter, my son. And there's obviously rightness to that language. All the effort and energy and money and mess and all the conversation, as I mentioned earlier, the ups and downs emotionally. There's nothing else in life that requires so much. So we feel this deep sense of ownership. And maybe one of our biggest challenges is being able to recognize that ultimately they're God's first before they're ours. And that's hard. We don't feel that as tangibly as we feel them being ours. This is spiritual reality that they belong to God and he's entrusting them to us from the Lord. They're a heritage from God to parents. And this can, this can in some ways, kind of be freeing because you can be praying for your kid and be like, Lord... You need to come down here and get your kid because he is off the rails right now. Like it could, but that's not what he's talking about. It's not like, Lord, just come get your man here. He's just, he's, he's off, off the rails. But maybe he's more like this. Like, Lord, I know that you love my kids more than I do. Like, you love my daughter more than I do. And it's impossible for me to comprehend and so I can, rest, I can rest in you, knowing that you love them more than I do. There's a rest and a comfort and a faith. And God says, I'm giving you my child to love, care for, teach, develop, discipline, and disciple so you can send them out for my name's sake. It's just a, the gravity of the stewardship of parenting. The gravity and motivation to be faithful in our parenting. Now, some of you have like, 
watched somebody else's house before and they've given you house plants to water, right? You just hope that they're going to survive as long as they're gone, right? Some of y'all killed some plants in here. I know that. <laughs> but our kids aren't like a house plant. Like God's just like, hey, just guard it, water it, just put it in the sun every now and then, like try to be tender to it and I'll come back and I'll see how you've done. That's not how he works. So God entrusts his kids to us. But he doesn't just, at that point, step out of the picture and just leave us to ourselves. No, he walks with us. In a faithful, like, Christian family, we feel like the weight of God laboring alongside with us. Unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain. You know what that implies? If the Lord builds a house, it's not in vain. If the Lord keeps watch with you and your watchfulness, then it's good for you to stay awake and be watchful because it's fruitful. But he doesn't merely give us children to care for, but he entrusts us, but then he walks with us, empowering us to help and care for them. The blessing culture increasingly views children as a hindrance and not a heritage, a restraint and not a reward. Children, more times than not, are viewed as an impediment to our ability to consume things. That's not the way God sees them. He says, they're an inheritance that I'm giving you, and they're a flat-out blessing in your life. And there are times you have to trust God that they're a blessing, but they're a blessing, a deep blessing from God. And for those of you maybe who don't have kids, maybe those of you who it's been a struggle to to have kids. I just want to encourage you with this nugget of truth from this because this psalm can hit with a different kind of weight if you haven't been able to have children that's your desire. It doesn't say that children are the blessing, the only form of blessing from God. So if you don't have children, it doesn't mean that your life is void of blessing. There's a particular way this blessing is absent and there's pain associated with that. But a man or woman's life isn't made up of, comprised of the abundance of his children but in the fact that you've been made in the image of God and saved by his grace through Jesus and he has a purpose for your life and you can have spiritual children and invest still in these little arrows to be sent out even in the people around you. But these kids are from the Lord, a blessing and a reward to be stewarded. John Calvin puts it this way. He says, unless men and women regard their children as the gift of God, they're careless and reluctant in providing for their support. But as we view children as a gift of God, We'll be both careful and eager to support and develop them. And here's two last thoughts as we close off. Verse 4 says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, the children of one's youth, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Whether that quiver is small or large, if that quiver is full, it's a blessing. But here's one quick note. Sticks aren't arrows. You have to, you have to shape and you have to develop You have to give a lot of care to make a stick an arrow. You have to add things to it that it doesn't have. And ultimately, all of it is to the end of seeing it sent out. There's a way in which you could say that they're only sent out once. It's such an interesting picture of the arrow, but one of the things we have to be confronted by is they must be aimed and given direction. They will not find direction on their own. They're given to us, and they're given in order to go And in some respects, they're only launched that one time. 
Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He says, we shall see them shot forth into life to our comfort and delight if we take care from the very beginning that they are directed to the right point, ultimately with the enablement of God. This last part, really interesting statement. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. There's a whole lot of commentary on this. There's a, there's a little bit of like, hey, if you've got lots of kids and your enemies step to you at the gate, which is kind of the judicial part of the city, and they see your kids kind of flock up behind you, it's like your boys just came in. They're like, hey, wait a second. Step on. There's some element to that, like the, the strength in numbers. But maybe more so, there's this picture of your, your children being, being an advocate in your presence of your character, your unimpeachable character in the presence of your enemies. It's a really interesting picture. As you raise up godly men and women, by your faithfulness, by your faith in God, proving to them that God is real and able and by your consistent testimony that they stand with you as this living, breathing advocate for your character before your enemies. That maybe I did labor with the help of God. May these I have shaped. Sorry, that one got me. There's a, uh, there's a necessary gravity to parenting. I mentioned the first message how your success as a parent isn't bound up in the performance of your kids. Like you can't necessarily define your faithfulness as a parent based on what your kids do in the future. But there is a particular way and a particular joy if at the end of my parenting that I can stand even as I take my last breath and see that I lived a godly life in front of my kids and that they are living a godly life in turn. That what other blessing could I imagine, right? I'll close with this. If all our work is done without God, it's not going to mount to a hill of beans unless God is working, Right? But if God is working, if he is building, that house is going to get built. And that's the opposite side. Like the comfort in this confrontation is like, unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. But if God is building, the house is going to be built. If you watch without the help of God, you watch in vain. But if God is watching with you, then you got sure protection and safety. There's a portion of the book of Acts where this Unique kind of prophet, Jewish prophet, proved to be a prophet in the moment. He talks about this dynamic of the gospel being at work, and they want to kill Peter and the apostles, and he comes to the Jewish council, and he says this. He says, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. The labor is in vain if it's not with God. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And I pray, I pray, I pray that our homes, our marriages, our parenting would be so rooted in the gospel, so founded on biblical principles and on faith and a deep trust in God, that people would look at our families in that way. As you might oppose them, 
but they're so near to God. If you oppose them, you might even find yourself opposing God because he's so intertwined in the inner workings of that family. And ultimately, that family will be built into a lighthouse in this world. And if you're in this room, maybe one connection I can make just real briefly. The church, the Christian church, and individual Christians are likened to a spiritual house that's built on the cornerstone of Jesus. Anytime the word work is used, I think it's good to pause just for a minute. Because I don't want anyone in this room leaving with the impression that somehow you can be a good enough parent for long enough or do some good enough work over the course of your life to make you right with God. There's no work that you can do to make yourself right with God. The reason this gigantic cross stands behind me is it's a reminder to me and to us that ultimately our hope and our confidence before God is found in the finished work of Jesus. A self-reliant builder who builds a house by his own work is constructing a house on the sand. Those are Jesus' own words. And ultimately that house will be unable to stand in the storm of God's judgment. But the one built on the rock, the Lord Jesus, will stand storms here and ultimately withstand and be free from the judgment of God coming upon the earth that's rebelled against his name. Make him your foundation. Make Jesus your refuge. Find safety in him. Find forgiveness and healing in him. And I pray that today would be that day. Trust in the work of Christ, and I pray, families, we build our house upon his word. Let's pray together. God, our own lives, uh, we, we, can, we can see through this same psalm if we seek to build our lives on anything of our own effort, relying on ourselves, building them for our own image and notoriety. You are gracious to blow that house down because you're jealous for your name. As we sang right before I started preaching, you're worthy of it all. You're worthy of the credit the glory and the fame and honor, riches and dominion, all of it's yours. All of it's from you and through you and to you. So I pray that you would be the one that gets the credit for anything good in us, anything strong about us in our homes. And I pray that there'd be a deep reliance that the parents in this room would be helped by your word, confronted by it, but also helped at the same time to be those who rely more deeply on you. Help us as those who have children to shape and fashion and disciple and discipline our kids that we might be able to send them out as those who have direction and who want to go make a difference for the sake of Jesus in this world. We love you. We can't do it without you. We can't do anything without you. Jesus, you said that apart from you, we can't do anything. Fill us with that deep recognition and desire to want to be attached to you as the vine to give us vitality and life and fruitfulness. We love you. We want to love you more. We need to love you more. Help us this week, even as we're confronted with our brokenness, to be reminded of the overwhelming shadow of grace that overtakes all of our sin, even our most broken of moments. And we pray for our children that they would be like olive shoots that bear fruit. In the years it takes to develop an olive tree, I pray that we invest even for years to see them be fruitful in their lives for the sake of your name. We love you, we trust you, we rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand together and we'll sing.